And it is my pleasure to introduce the first program of the afternoon in our 85th legislature track, an extremely rare conversation with Tim Dunn, the chairman of the board of directors of Empower Texans and Texans for Fiscal Responsibility and the vice chairman of the board of the Texas Public Policy Foundation. In those capacities, Mr. Dunn, who by day is CEO of Crown Quest Operating, a Midland-based oil and gas company, is a conservative thought leader with few peers outside of elective office and a deep-pocketed funder whose influence on elections and the legislative process is outsized, controversial, and hotly debated. Critics have said that Mr. Dunn's intent is to intimidate Republicans he believes to be impure ideologically, that with his massive spending, limited disclosure, and negligible public presence, he is a special interest agenda of one. Allies have said that he's simply exercising his First Amendment right to participate in the political process and that his sole concern is the proper role of government in a free society. Over the years, Mr. Dunn himself has said little, which is why I asked him to join us today. In fact, I've asked him to sit for an interview several times over the years, as has the Tribune, but to no avail. This time, I appealed to him by noting that it's human nature to project one's worst and most exaggerated fears onto a blank screen. I suggested to him that he would do well and we would all benefit if he finally put something up on that screen. And he agreed. With another legislative session just over the rise, that's why we're in this track as opposed to any other, and with the activities of the groups Mr. Dunn supports and leads, sure to be a topic of conversation yet again, I'm pleased to have the chance to put him and his perspective on our world in the public's view. Born in Littlefield and raised in Big Spring, Mr. Dunn is a graduate of Texas Tech University. Please join me in welcoming Tim Dunn. Thank you for being here. Mr. Dunn, I want to begin with the existential question I've been dying to ask you for years. Who are you? What are you? Why are you? Uh, you could be very happy back in Midland with your I money am, I am very happy and your family. I know you are. But you could be very happily re happy remaining in Midland. You don't need to trouble yourself with the unpleasantness of the capital or the legislative process. You could have a very happy life in the Permian Basin. Why are you doing this? Why did you decide to I actually could to move this? to La Jolla if you really want to go down well, that Well, sure, okay. You pick well, most people would say staying in Midland is like a, like a uh, self-flagellation sort of exercise. Is that it? Okay. Uh, you can go wherever you want. But you choose to come virtually, if not actually, to Austin to have an influence here, to spend money, and to influence the outcome of, of various fights. Why? What motivates you to do that? Well, I... Yeah. You know, that existential question you ask is very broad. Well, we have you know, an hour. I, yeah. So I was thinking I am because I eat. I was, you know, what, what is, uh, how do I answer that? But I think in terms of my political uh, interest, it's really born of my personal philosophy. And, uh, you know, I care a lot about family. Midland's a family town. There's not much else there, work and family. Yep. I have six kids. I have 13 grandkids. And there's more to life than just my generation and me. There's a heritage to pass along. Yep. And I benefited tremendously from the heritage my, I was passed along to me. My, my dad was a Depression-era guy. You know, he moved to California when uh, the Dust Bowl happened. 
And my brother's point out there, he was a migrant farm worker, you know, put, throwing uh, onions on the truck. And then uh, got a job in an aircraft factory during the war. And then, and then decided, man, Texas is a better place to raise my boys, which shows you how much wisdom my dad had, right? Right, absolutely. Yeah. And then I was the, I was the caboose. I was born, my parents were, you know, in their 40s or thir- late 30s. Right. And, you know, my dad said, we grew up poor, but we, we never, no, actually his statement was, we weren't poor, we just never had any money. And it was this, uh, I inherited a kind of a, you know, you, you make of yourself who you are and how you connect with other people. And you, you give back. So there's lots of ways to give back. And politics is probably the, like the nastiest sort of most, uh, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, unpleasant thing for a private citizen to do, which is why a lot of people don't want to do it. Correct. But you make it sound so attractive, I can't understand why you did it. <laughs> well, so who's going to do it? You know, the question is so. Who's so you're stepping do up. It? So this is about preserving the way of life that you know, your family knows. I mean, our, our, our country is full of people like this. You know, yeah. there's always people stepping right. up. You, you know, the Levi Preston story. You ever hear about Levi Preston? Well, uh, for anybody that didn't hear it, uh, he was uh, one of the Concord Minutemen. You know, that shot heard around the world, and he was answered the call. And he's well known because a uh, New Hampshire school teacher interviewed him when he was in his 90s and then gave a speech about it when he was later in life. So it's like 100 years later after yep. the Battle of Concord. And uh, this guy's named Mellon Chamberlain. He gave a speech. You can look it up online. He's, he's given a speech to uh, in Concord about the shot heard around the world battle. And he says, uh, he was re- reminiscing about his interaction with Lee I. Preston. He asked him, why did you go and fight? What was the matter? And uh, he said he was 90 at the time, so he's like, what, what? You know, couldn't hear very good. And he said, why did you go fight? Was it the acts of oppression? And Preston said, it was just a farmer. You know, he said, I never felt oppressed. He said, well, was it the stamp tax? Yep. He said, I never bought any of those stamps. I think they put it in Castle William. And he said, well, was it the tea tax then? He's never drank a drop of the stuff. That boys threw it in the harbor. Yep. And he said, well, then was it the writings of Locke and Hume? Never heard of them. We read the Bible and the Almanac. Well, what was it then? What was the matter? And Preston said, well, here's the deal. Those red coats... Uh, meant that we shouldn't govern ourselves, and we had governed ourselves always. And that's why I went So it's the principle of self-government. But see, I, Mr. Self-governance, that's what it but is. Mr. Dunn, though, you talk about how he says, I no. was not oppressed. Yeah. I always get the sense that you feel oppressed or that you feel aggrieved, that somehow the, the government in Austin and people in elective office, specifically in Austin, are somehow doing something that you're trying to, a wrong you're trying to right. That this is not about an affirmative principle, but it's about trying to remedy a negative. Well, when government oversteps its bounds, who's, you know, who's going to stop it? Right. In our system of government, it's up to the citizens to do that. Yeah. You know, the Constitution starts with we the people. And if the people can't organize independent of government, then we're going to have tyranny. And that, that's been, you know, the basic right. struggle for all of our years. And, when we have abandoned the principle of self-governance, 
we've paid a dear price for it. There are a lot of ways that people channel this idea or channel this energy into going sure. at a system that they disagree with in part or in whole. You chose, at least in one way, to create a couple of groups. One is an advocacy group. One is a so-called social welfare group. These are Empower Texans and Texans for Fiscal Responsibility to try to work outside but to change what's happening inside. Can you talk a little bit about why you made that decision and help us better understand those groups? Just like you, we think we don't know as much as we might know about those groups, and maybe you can fill in some of the, some of the blanks for us. Well, I think it's pretty simple. The, those groups exist to try to empower citizens. You know, when, when a citizen shows up and says, I want to I help our country, I want to yeah. get involved, uh, so what do you do? And, and you look and you got, I, I can't afford lobbyists. Mm-hmm. I can't afford to be a mega donor. I, I just want to participate. Uh, how does somebody do that constructively? And well, all we try to do is just point a way where they, right. can, they can be constructive with their civic engagement. So are these groups that collect the wish list from like-minded people around the state and, and on their behalf uh, uh, take action? I, I may be missing something. I'm not aware of these groups uh, uh, essentially focus grouping issues or traveling the state to organize or amass a bill of particulars. I get a sense that it's a small group with an agenda. That agenda may be a perfectly legitimate agenda. That's not pejorative. But that that group is representing that group as opposed to that group representing some broad swath of the populace. Well, the typical situation that if you, somebody wants to get something passed... Yeah. is you create a group that's an advocacy group to get that thing passed. So who's the one who wants to get something passed so, in this case? Uh, well, you know, uh, contractors or uh, the trial lawyers. You know, the trial lawyers try to get I mean, that's basically right. they're living, isn't it? You right, can, but you I, don't think that, I don't think the trial, unless, the, over, then, unless I've forgotten how the trial bar works, I don't think trial lawyers are coming to empower Texans no, no, no. To get something passed. Well, but I'm talking about in the, in, I thought you asked me a so genre who, but who's, question. Who's the, well, I'm actually specifically, who, are, who is the group or who are the groups on whose behalf Empower Texans or Texans for Fiscal Responsibility well, would work at the Capitol? Any citizen. I mean, any, every citizen has the opportunity to step up and say, I want to be counted. Right. And we think, I think, a lot of people think, I think the vast majority of Texans think, Right. that we should have representative government, which means that when I have a representative, they ought to care more about representing me yep. than they do representing, let's say, a lobby group in Austin. Right. Um, is it about defeating people who do things or say things that you don't and others don't agree with, or is it about lobbying in the broadest sense members of the legislature, House and Senate, to do things different? Is it about electioneering, let me put it in basic terms, or is it about lobbying? I think it's about empowering citizens, and the citizens decide. So that can be both. Well, citizens do what they do. So we want to make their voice loud. Right. And generally speaking, if you go around Texas and you talk to people and you ask them, uh, let's say, a basic question, who do you think ought to decide this issue, you or the government? You know what almost every Texan says? You. Me. Right. I should decide that. So is the problem, I guess I'm trying to get at this question of whether we're talking about issues or elected officials. Is the problem bad votes or is the problem bad legislators? Well, let's say we didn't have any problems, that government was just hunky-dory. It's, right. in, it's in its lane. It's exactly where it ought to be. Yeah. Does that mean citizens should disengage? Well, we live in a state that is remarkably disengaged. So I don't know, maybe. 
Well, that's, and that's a very valid point. We, citizen engagement um, is less than it would be ideally, but is it rational for people to not engage? Well, you think everybody has a stake in the outcomes of these fights. You do, but when people feel like the system's rigged and right. their voice isn't being heard, right. it's kind of rational for them to disengage. You sound like attention. a Sanders voter. You know, it, one of the remarkable things about this presidential cycle is three of the four top candidates all kind of ran on the same platform. That would be in terms of Trump, identifying Trump, the, Cruz, and Sanders. And Sanders. Well, they we, all kind of they all kind of ran right. on a platform of somebody's getting rich. Right. Somebody's benefiting off of this system. Right. And it it's not uh, you. Well, they in fact they traveled to the same destination, but they traveled on different roads. Right. The culprit was different in the case of those. You know, the culprit's different, but cronyism is kind of the you know the standard yeah. cry. And, right. You know. Are the unions, do they want special benefits? Do the businesses want special benefits? Do the trial lawyers want special benefits? Do, well, yeah. yeah. You know, that's, that's kind of what it is. And, you know, industries, is it legitimate for an industry to show up and have a lobbyist and, and have a presence at the Capitol to make sure that they don't regulate you out of business? I'd say, yeah. Who decides, whether, who decides whether that's legitimate? Well, the company does. The company has that right, and right. they do that. But you all have, outside of that, you all have the right to decide it's not legitimate and to fight and that if, And if we have uh, companies right. coming up and saying, we want taxpayer money, we want to take money from this $30,000 a year single mom and use it for a slush fund that comes to us as a, ma- a big company, right. then who's, rep- who's showing up to represent that mom? Right. Um, when it comes to elections which is where really the average person who pays attention to this stuff has come to know the work of you and your groups. You which, self- which, as you said, is a very small number. Yes, but it's an intense number. It is an intense Intense, number. small number. <laughs> um, you self-identify as a Republican? Self-identify as a Republican. I, I think I have to say yes to that. Are, do you only support Republican candidates? Only support Republican candidates. Have you ever supported a Democrat? It seems like the kind of thing that you would remember. You know, have you ever questions are very difficult, but I am old enough where there was no Republican Party at one point in time. There was only the Democratic Party. Some would say (laughs) we may be in that time again. Okay. Um, I'm just looking at Connie Burke. But, you know, basically, yeah, I, I... don't really care that you don't much think about, about party. labels. Party labels. You know, Democrat versus right. Republican. Uh, the but if you re- spend, the Republican guess, yeah. Party is the the place where I've chose to focus. My and so if you spend money in a primary in as a donor, or you organize people, it's typically in a Republican primary. I, but I would ha- be happy to support Connie Burton if she would uh, run as a Democrat, as a Freedom Liberty Democrat or something like that. Because look. Uh, what what happened? That 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 is not happening in our world today. Oh please! But what if it did? You know, what if, what if it did? Yeah. Um, so, because what, what, matters, what matters is, are the people that are running telling the voters right. something and then going and doing that? Right. So we have, as a people, decided that, eh, they're politicians, you know. How do you know if a politician's lying? Their lips are moving, you know. So they, that's what you expect. You don't expect them to do. Why have we layered the standard like that? Yep. Why have we lowered the bar to say, if you're a politician, you can tell people something with absolutely no intention to do that? Think about a company. What if a company did that? 
Yeah. I'm giving you this product. I have absolutely no intention to honor the warranty or, to, or that it, anything I promise you is going to work, but I want you to pay anyway. Well, if we thought about politics as a customer service business, it might actually be different. Well, and, I, I and will acknowledge it. Okay, and what is it supposed to be? Customer service. Representative government. Uh, how much? And, yeah. and it, you know, it's, and it was, it was, it has been. In the past. For the vast majority of our history. When did, when did it change? You know, of course, history is way more complex than we can ever fully understand it, and you've got to generalize. But based on my, I guess, um, amateur investigation, uh, I think somewhere about 50, 60 years ago, there was this basic promise that if maybe 75, maybe we were like 75 years ago, there was this basic premise, I guess is a better word, that the experts know better. If you just turn it over to the experts, they can figure this out better than we can. We're just simple people, and so we can let the yeah. experts figure it Are out. Are the experts the same as the elites? Um, you know, not necessarily. Uh, not necessarily, but I think those are two different concepts, okay. experts and elites. But, uh, and there was a basis upon which people could, you know, buy that. They had World War II, had been prosecuted by the federal government. I think it was generally thought that was very, very well done. Right. And you had some big projects that were very well done. So people, hey, you know, that makes sense. But then, then what took place is you ended up with, instead of a system where, let's say, Abraham Lincoln, for example, as a congressman, wrote back to his district executive and said, can I have another term in Congress? I really like it up here. And the district executive wrote back and said, no. It's not your, you know, it's Billy Bob's turn yeah. next. And so this local accountability was absolute. Right. And now we have guys that, I mean, everybody knows once you get the power of incumbency, it's really hard to dislodge. Right. Because the money flows in. And why? Why does the money flow in? Well, people want stuff. Uh, is, that, is that the system we really want to have? Yeah. So now who's this person representing? Right. Are they representing... The money stream that's flowing, or are they representing their right. voters, their constituents? Well, I, I think that's a good articulation of how you view this stuff. And so I want to ask you, since you bring up the money stream, let's talk about your money stream. Okay. How much do you spend it on politics in an average year? Well, I, I don't know about average year. Um, Ballpark it, spitball it for me. Let me tell you about this year. Okay. What are you spending this you, year? You told me you were going to work about, talk about this, so I did some homework. Okay, good. So I don't I remember what I told you, but I'm sure it was great. <laughs> I, I am show up on the TEC, Texas Ethics Commission website, for this cycle at $340,000. Is that a high amount typical to a regular, typical year? I, I hadn't been doing this that long. Yeah. I, I consider that a lot of money. Do you consider that a lot of money? Uh, yes, yeah. I do. I'm in journalism. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I absolutely consider that a lot of money. So to me, that's a lot of money, especially when oil's $25 a barrel at the start of the year. That's a lot of money. It is. Okay. Yeah. So um, is all that money and all the money that you've given away, that amount is all visible to us. Yeah. Uh -huh. The public, the public can go online, whether you it's the ethics commission and see yeah. he gave this much and he gave these amounts to these candidates. Yeah. But you started with a thing about mega, mega donor type of thing or some sort well, of, you are, a, you like are that. a large donor. Fact. I, I think I am a large donor, but you know, there's big ants and small elephants. So, which are you? Which am I? What does your research show you? I think you're a small elephant. I actually think you're a mid-sized elephant. What, what number do you think I am in donors this cycle? I don't know, but I think that over time you've given millions of dollars, and to my mind that makes you a mid-sized elephant. I don't think anybody would consider you to well, be an are, ant of any size at that point. Who are the big elephants? 
Who are the big-ish elephants? Yeah, uh, Kelsey big Warren would be a big elephant. Okay. Charles Butt would be a big elephant. Rich Kinder would be a big elephant. Okay. Trevor Reese Jones would be a big elephant. So, yeah, and they're way bigger than I am. Right. I'll just say that. All right. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I actually showed up as number like 72. Is, is there the, money the, that you're giving that we don't... Is there year. money that you're giving that we don't know about? Giving to a candidate? To, to candidates or to... Or to Causes or to groups that don't disclose that we don't know about. Have you told us the the full amount of money that you have given in this cycle? No. Why? Oh well, because I'm a private citizen. My my, I have the right to do private things without having to tell everybody. You don't think it's our? It's in the public interest for us to know the the provenance of the money going into our political system directly or indirectly? Well, when you say indirectly, you're talking about empower Texans, of course. But. Well, I'm talking about well, well so am I correct that Texans for fiscal responsibility does not have to disclose That's correct. Donors. No no C3 or C4 donor has right. to disclose. Donors. My understanding of the way this works and you're an expert at this, I am but a novice. So let yeah. me be sure that I have this correct. My understanding is that so-called social welfare organizations do not have to disclose donors unless electioneering is their primary function. Okay? Is that correct? Don't know. Don't know. Okay, that's my understanding. And yet, by all evidence that we have, Texas fiscal responsibility, just to pick on that one group, not the only group in this category, spends hundreds of thousands of dollars each cycle on political races. If that's not electioneering, what is? I'm, I'm just confused about the rules that would permit well, a group not to disclose the source of its don- of a donations. You would have to talk to the lawyers about how the rules are done. Please don't make me do that. But, you know, when we hire lawyers to make sure that we yep. go down that. But why does the government have all those rules about uh, political, about campaign finance? What is the fundamental purpose of those rules? Well, I would submit to you that an individual such as yourself who seems to believe that there are people in public life who are not uh, uh, working on our behalf but who are self-dealing or double-dealing, somebody who is, by extension, an advocate for honesty, transparency, and disclosure – would himself be the loudest advocate for political money being disclosed? Well, let's just take um, federal, for instance. So if you're a congressman, if I want to give money to a sitting congressman, I basically have no campaign limits because the National Congressional something or other, they have a trust, and I think it has a $75,000 limit. Yep. And if, if you want to give more, they'll do another trust. Right. And you give unlimited amount to the party, and who controls the party? who controls the congressional trust, right. the incumbents, the leadership does. So basically the leadership has unlimited, no, no, no caps. But if you're a challenger, now it's $2,500 a person. Right. The party's not going to, if you're going to challenge somebody in a primary, okay, which, you know, 85% of all legislative districts nationwide, yep. federal, state, are one-party districts. And, yeah, I, I wonder what the percentage is in Texas, but it's probably... I think it's 80, 85 percent, something like higher, that. Higher, right, yeah. So, so, you know, basically the primary is the only place where the citizens primary actually have a Primary is the general, that's right. right. And, yeah, so, so if you want to be a challenger, you have real yeah. restrictions. Well, who would put a system in place where you've got a staff that's working for your re-election right. all the time, you can send mail at the taxpayer expense... You have constituent services. You have no campaign limits. Right. And, and who always has the, you know, FEC complaints? The challengers. So if you're a challenger, you know, I'm under a microscope. I'm severely right. limited. And if you've got this power of incumbency that you're going up against, it's a tough climb. Who does that right. system benefit? So you're advocating for public financing of campaigns? Um, what would that look like? 
Well, it would create an equitable situation in which... Would it? There would are, it there are, so well, who, well, who, would, who would be in charge of deciding who so got you, money? So you, you have a problem with the referees in that particular game. Well, when the government... So, so if we talk about referees, one of the illustrations I like to use for talking about what is the proper role of government, and by the way, some conservatives do a poor job at this, I think. We talk about limited government, but limited is a relative term. You know, limited to what? So just limited, you know, make it zero? What do you want to do? But the government's proper role is to make the rules, draw the lines. You think about basketball. You know, there's a rectangular court, and there's lines. Yep. There's three throws from 15 feet away, and the three-point line's different depending on where you're at. And if you step on the line, the referee blows a whistle. They stop play. They change the ball, uh, change possession. If you don't have that, then you don't have much of a game. But if, if the association, let's say the NCAA came up and said, you know, Syracuse hadn't won the national championship in a long time. For them. Let's put year. our thumbs on the scale. Yeah, right. yeah. Let's, let's, you know, don't, let's go a foot outside the line. Let's let them shoot the free throw and from so you 12 th- feet. And so you think the refs of this campaign finance game uh, put their thumbs on the scale for incumbents? Right. Duh. Well, so, but, but, but hold on. Mr. Dunn, you support incumbents whose worldview aligns with your... Are you telling me you're going to fund Stickland's challenger in the next election because he's well, an incumbent? No, I won't, I won't have to because the establishment will do that but, to, but, a, to a very large extent. But, but, but That's I, already taken but, but, care but, but of. But I'm confused. The guys, the guys who put in these laws, when somebody comes like Mr. Stickland and starts threatening that system... Yeah. They go after them tooth and claw. So the problem is not the power of incumbency. The problem is the power of the incumbents you don't like. The power is of the incumbents setting up a system that's self-perpetuating. And when the system becomes the thing that representatives are serving, irrespective of their philosophy, then representative government is hampered. Do you ever think about running for office yourself? I've thought about it. Why don't you? If you, if you want to do this, if you want to play... I don't mean this pejoratively. If you want to play Geppetto in the political system, then why not get in? Why not, why not show up and get in, I announce think, for office? I think at least at this point in time, and uh, my, my uh, contribution is much greater helping the citizens get more, more uh, influence. Playing a, beso- a behind-the-scenes role. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm, I, a behind-the-scenes role. I mean, I'm playing a citizen role. I right, guess, but, are, are yes, all but, citizens behind the scenes? Well, I mean, factually, you are behind the scenes. This is the first time you've done one of these interviews in how long? Maybe ever? Well, I mean, the, I'm, I, I, have plenty of, I have plenty of public face, just not with the Texas Tribune or the press corps. If, if you want to come to Midland and, you know, come to the hamburger joint, I'm, I'm fairly accessible. <laughs> <laughs> that could happen. I think I've got it. I, th- I think you've just invited me to do that, and I might actually do that. Um, so, the, uh, giving to candidates and campaigns is one way that your interest in this stuff manifests itself. But it an- another way is in the so-called scorecards of votes mm-hmm. that the organizations you work with and fund uh, put out every legislative session. Can you talk about that? These are themselves controversial. This is where certain votes are isolated, and it is said in advance we're going to tally the votes and give people a rating, and we're going to convey that rating back home to constituents. Now, who, who says it's controversial? Pardon? Who's, who says it's controversial? I think a lot of people say it's controversial. Who in particular? 
Oh, I know where you're going with this. So the people who end up in the 70 to 80 range or the 60 oh, to 70 it's range. very controversial. You think people who get good scores don't think it's controversial? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't right. think the citizens think it's controversial. What is said to be controversial, though, Mr. Dunn, is not the fact of the scorecard, but the choice of the votes and the question of whether the choice of those votes ensures that certain people who you don't like in advance, not you, the royal you, don't like in advance will fall short, will be found wanting. I think that's a perfectly legitimate concern. As a matter of fact, when the scorecard was uh, conceived of, the Texas scorecard, uh, there's lots of scorecards out there. There are. That's, that's true. That's, there's, there's nothing new about scorecards. That's true. They're typically done kind of reverse engineered. That's if the session's over and people look back. and Right. Do the, but, you know, what the... That's easy to. So it's not the that's case. Easy to gain. It's not the case, Mr. Dunn, that you or the groups that you work with start with a conclusion and work back. No, we don't do that. What we do is we a, want to be Byron Cook, and so we're going to come up with a right. series of votes that set a bear trap for Byron Cook. Just that's, to pick that, Mr. That's, Cook as that's, uh, one example. That's uh, yeah, that would. And even if we thought we were honest brokers or whatever, and we're going to do it honestly as we go, the temptation would be there. So what we do, uh, I say we. What Power Texans do, I don't. I don't do it. I'm a board member, but the, this policy was important to me, so I was actually in this because I've seen people do that. Yep. And, you know, if we're going to really help the citizens, then it has to be factual. Well, what we give this is it's got to be factual or we're not helping them. We're just right. trying to manipulate them. They get plenty of that in the system as it is. Mm-hmm. So what we, what we do is we um, uh, announce as the, vote, as the uh, votes come up, we announce and say this will be on the scorecard. And that way, that way we're committing up front before a vote's been taken. What do you think the impact of announcing that a vote is on the scorecard is as a practical matter? I have no idea. You'd have to ask somebody on the other side. You don't think that's chin music for every legislator? I don't know. In, it seems in essence, like... a, th- a thread, if you don't vote the way that we want you to vote on this issue, knowing that that vote is on the scorecard before you vote, it f- forces or causes some weak-kneed legislators to think, I may need to vote a way other than what I think is the right way to vote for my district or how I might see this issue because I'm concerned that if I don't vote that way, I will get dinged. I'm sure that they get all kinds of influences. Uh, they get, uh, you know, the influence of whether campaign finance yep. or campaign donations are going to come from this organization or whether leadership's going to kick me off a committee that the lobby doesn't care about and some right. of the money stream's going to flow. So you don't have a problem if that's the inference. That's, that's all. Well, if you're a, legis- if you're a person, uh, every, every influence that comes in you have to evaluate. And if you're a legislator, if you're a politician, you have to... You have right. to pick and choose. Every, everybody's trying to get you to... It's one of many things. It's, one, it's just one right. of many things. And if you, as an elected official, are afraid of your voters, and you're afraid of your voters knowing something you did, then that's a problem. Then you have a problem. Then you have a problem. problem. Right. And if you believe, hey, they just got this wrong, and I'll explain it to my voters, then, then, that's fine. then, then, then that right. scorecard's doing you a favor. It's giving you an opportunity to... Ex- right engage with your voters and explain to them why this was a, a good thing. Speaking of, you mentioned the word factual a couple of seconds ago. Yeah. Factual. Has, have you or the groups you work with ever put out material in a race that was not factual? Well, again, you're asking, have you ever? And, I am. You know, there's a, I am. There's a, no, no way anyone can ever know whatever they've done. Tell me, what's in, a, tell me what's in your heart. Do you believe that it's a, it, it is the proper place or proper role of these groups, even if they very badly want to defeat somebody who they consider to be a bad actor, do you believe that it is in your heart yeah. appropriate 
to take something out of context or to outright tell a falsehood in either yeah. a mailer or on a scorecard or anything else that would somehow convey something other than what is true. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what my philosophy is and what I've always said and stood for yeah. is factual, factuality means that not only that the fact is, is accurate, but that it's not taken out of context. Now, you know, context is something that has some perspective associated. Slightly with it. subjective. Yeah, so yeah. There's, that is not an objective thing. You, it can't be. But the, to the best of our ability, if, our, if, our organiza- if the organization that, uh, that you're talking about, Empower Texans or the Empower Texans Foundation, is it you know, puts something out that is taken out of context and clearly, you know, angling towards something. To me, there's too much of that out there. That's done every day in politics. Right. And uh, one of the sad realities is that if you're a challenger uh, or any, any person that's you know, underfunded and a, a hit is put out on you and you don't have the money to uh, answer that hit, yep. it, it can be completely untrue. Uh, sometimes that's what swings elections. Right. And, again... You know, well, that's that's uh, fouled up. That's taking the people uh, out, of out of the, the equation. out of the equation and making right. it where they're just like you, you know, puppets. And I, I don't want to. There are Geppettos out there. I don't want to be one of those. I, I want to be. I want to be an empowerment person. Right. Let me just uh, a note to the volunteer or whoever it is from the crew who is letting me know about time. When we are about fifteen minutes from the end of the hour, please just give me a Heidi sign so we can go to questions. What's your problem with Joe Strauss? I don't particularly have a problem with Joe Strauss, the person. He's a politician. But the problem with the way the speakership has been chosen and orchestrated is, I think, not representative of what the voters have What's he not? What's he not doing that he should be doing? What is he doing that he shouldn't be doing? Well, the... The history there, I think, is important. Uh, you know, Tom Craddock was the Speaker of the House, the most longstanding Republican, Republican of Midland. From Midland. And um, they, there was a coup, essentially, mid, midterm. And the, the Democrats, minus 11, he had like 11 Democrats. Well, the coup, if I'm remembering correctly, because I was on the tennis court when I got word of this, it was in December. It wasn't midterm. Well, but it wasn't, okay, fair enough. It wasn't, it wasn't like the traditional speaker vote time. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, and, you know, a, a handful of Republicans went with the Democratic caucus, and they chose Joe Strauss through, for whatever purpose they did that. Had the right to do it, right? Didn't violate the rules. Didn't violate the rules. But, essentially, the, the predominant political base there is the Democratic caucus. So now, and that's, that has pretty much stayed the same, and... The Republicans, you know, with 98 Republicans, 52 Democrats, and the Democratic Party. I mean, you, if you want to be, um, you could say it's somewhere between a wholly owned subsidiary of the Texas Trial Bar, and you could say it's heavily influenced by the Trial Bar. But, you know, it's. That, that certainly... seems like a 10 year old stereotype. We can probably find boogeymen more contemporary than the Trial Bar, I well, suspect. I. Well, yeah, if you can, if you, I mean, you can go uh, look for that if you can. Well, let, care let me to, let but, me let me ask you about but, your. But you know that that is essentially who the right. political base is: the most liberal wing of the Republican Party and the and the Democrats. So, is that who should be the most powerful elected seat in the? And 
you know, it doesn't matter to me who's in that seat. If it's chosen that way, I don't think we're going to get bills that ought to right. be ought to be voted on on the, voted on. Now, if a bill gets on the floor and it gets turned down, then then that's, know, the, then, pro- that's, that's the process. That's, that's the process. But we when when you have things that you know Republican primary voters approve seventy five eighty percent in, in polling and whatnot that doesn't even make it to the floor. Right. Then. It's, they're not representing the... Let, let me just, respectfully, Mr. Dunn, let me challenge your math. So I'm remembering when Scott Turner ran as the alternative to Speaker Strauss for Speaker. Right. He got 19 votes, famously. There were 98 Republicans in the House. So 79 Republicans, a majority, more than was necessary, 76, elected Speaker Strauss. If every Democrat had decided to go to Torchies that day and not show up at the Capitol, enough Republicans would have elected Speaker Strauss. So it is technically inaccurate to say the Democrats elected Speaker Strauss. Well, the way, the way the mentality goes, and this speaks to a whole different issue. Right. But the way the mentality goes is, if you start with 52, so, you know, 52, so you've got to have another... What you only need 24. And I know, I know that there's, and there's however many committee chairmanships and true. people that are on. That's true. So I know I'm not going to win, so why am I going to vote in a situation where... Right. I, and I also know I'm going to pay a dear price. My bills won't get heard. I'll get a, Repub- a, a primary challenger, da-da-da-da-da-da. Why do I want to go through that pain? To, uh, so that would be a, a rationale that someone so you, would use yeah. to... So you think there are more people in the... Te- if you truth serumed everybody in the Texas House, you think there are more than 19 votes opposed to Speaker Strauss, but the people who don't want to vote against him do so because they don't want to be put on a committee that meets in Juneau, Alaska, twice a session. Well, I mean, look, um, I don't know how many political people that you know, but, Couple. Um, you know, I, I would say that political people tend to be very good at um, uh, reading the tea leaves and seeing where the wind's blowing. Yep. And, um, you know, I, I, would li- I would like to think that there's um, more and more people that are coming and saying, I'm going to stand on principle, I'm going to do what my voters want back home, but nobody likes pain. I don't like pain. You're do gonna you say- like pain? Do you like discomfort? Do you like to... Be in a, in a nasty situation when you don't have to be in a nasty situation? No. Nobody likes that. So when you choose that, you, you have to say there's some reason why this is worth it. Okay? And so that's not an easy thing. To it may do. not be worth it in this case. And so the, you, know, right. you know, a lot of people are saying this is not the fight to right. fight. And, and, you know, that's, uh, that's their call. Mr. Dunn, you are proudly a Christian. Yes. You talk about the fact that your faith is important to you. Yeah. If you read about... If I read about you, read things written about you, that yeah. comes up. It's a, it's a, pr- a proud part of your Bible. It's, it's me. Is there a proper role for faith in politics? I, I'm wondering about this because there has been an increasing discussion at the Capitol about the degree to which faith informs decision-making yeah. at the Capitol. I asked Governor Kasich. I'm okay. guessing that you were not a donor to his campaign. That's probably right. Probably right. Yeah. I asked Governor Kasich about this last night over at Hogg at our opening session. Governor Kasich said the following, quote, the longer I'm around this, the more I think we ought to have people of faith stay the hell out of politics. That was Governor Kasich. Mm-hmm. What, where's the right place to land on this question of faith in politics? Well, you can start at the definitional level. You know, politics at its most basic definition is people getting together and organizing. That's really all it is. Right. And religion, if you look at the definition, it actually, you can find a definition that says it's a belief system around which people organize. So the reality is you actually cannot separate the two. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to have a belief system around which you organize. Yep. 
Now, if you look historically, I'm talking about human history, what is always trying to be uh, uh, aimed at by rulers is to merge the two into one person. I mean, the ultimate thing that the rulers are always trying to do is I'm the God yep. and I'm the ruler. And you look at Egypt, you know, the Roman emperors gravitated towards that. Uh, the uh, Turks, when they came in and took over the uh, Islamic countries, fired the caliph and made themselves the caliph. When King Henry couldn't get his divorce, he started a new church. And till today, yep. the head of the Anglican, or the, yeah, the Anglican Church, the English Church, is Church of England, is the queen. And so that's, that's normative in human history. Uh, but the, the, when, when you have the, like the pronouncement, like I am God, merged with humanity, that's a real bad thing. That hasn't worked out very well. So the, the proper thing, and in a self-governing society, people have to have a basis upon which they stand. You know, this is right, this yep. is wrong. And today there's actually a clash going on between two religions, uh, our historical Judeo-Christian uh, belief system and political correctness, which is a belief system. And I just think political correctness is a very interesting term. It has two words, political and correctness. Correct means right. If you have the correct answer, you have the right answer. It means true. You have the true answer, you know, true, false. Correct, right, true. So this is truth determined how? Politically. Now, what political, uh, what political operation is deciding what's right and wrong? Have you voted? Do you get a vote in what's right in political correctness? No one has asked me. I haven't been to an election. It's just kind of happening. So who's determining this? Yep. And who are these people? Is the movie producers? Is that who's, who is, who's doing that? And what is democratic about that? But that system is one system, and then our historical system right. is the other. And it seems to me that there's a, a somewhat of, and this is where I think elites come in, small group of people is determining what's right and wrong. We don't even know. You talk about not knowing who those are. Who are those? Yeah. They're my rulers now. Who are they? Because their belief system is who we're going to organize around? Right. I think that's highly problematic. So speaking of political correctness, before we go to questions, and I guess I'm going to get, again, a cue from somebody on the time to do that. Um, Donald Trump. Okay. I, I am ob- obeying the law that everybody in journalism must mention Donald Trump at least <laughs> once every 45 minutes. Um, you, are, you are for Mr. Trump. He doesn't seem like your kind of conservative, Mr. Dunn. Yeah. So ha- explain that to me. Yeah. Well, you get a binary choice, essentially. Well, you, you, you can, can make can a vote protest Jill, You can vote for Jill Stein. You can make a protest vote. You can make a protest vote. You yeah. can stay home. Yeah. Uh, if you stay home, you're, you're still voting for, you're proxying for whoever the winner is going to be. But if you want to have a say-so in the outcome, it's a binary choice. So this is not voting for him so much as voting against the alternative. Well, any time you vote for somebody, you're voting against the alternative. Well, I don't you know that have, I agree with that. Okay. I mean, sometimes you like a candidate and you support what that candidate believes in and you vote for that candidate. This is a little bit like tennis. Sometimes you win because you hit the best shots and sometimes you win because the other person hits the ball into the net. Mistake, yeah. Right? You know, you win by winning or you win by not losing. This feels like an election in which the majority of the people are, are hoping that the other person loses. It sounds like you hope that the other person loses. 
that's for sure. Uh, the, I, I absolutely hope the other person. But do you have that. something? You have anything positive to say about the candidate you're going to ultimately vote for? Well, his uh, list that he put out on Supreme Court justice is very encouraging. Just and the current list or the previous list? I, I think both lists. Both you know? lists. Yeah, Don Willett was on the list, one of our guys. Don Willett was on the list. You know, Don Willett, uh, I heard him give a talk that I thought was amazing at one point in time when he said, uh, he was talking about eyebrow threading. Have you heard the eyebrow threading I'm story? aware of the eyebrow threading story. Yeah. So he said, you know, somebody comes up and says, you have to have a license that requires 350 hours of training, not one second of which has to do with eyebrow threading before you can thread somebody's eyebrows, really? Right. So, uh, you know, there's a place for uh, the court to say, this is not a proper decision for government to make. Of course, that's music to my ears. Right. Because conservative justice doesn't just mean, doesn't, I mean, that doesn't even do anything for me. Preserving a system that's bad, you know, conservative means preserving. If something's gone awry right. and it's off the track, we shouldn't... Pre- we want constitutional right. justice. Don't you think Trump likes Willett as a Supreme Court justice because they both tweet a lot? Don't you think that's what this is about? I think it's the hair. Is that, it's the hair. Is that what it's about? <laughs> very good, very good. Um, before would we look good in orange hair. You think I should have the Trump? You know, you ought to just try. Pompadour? Uh, tell me an issue next session that is maybe not on our radar screen that will be on your radar screen and that you intend to press Senator Burton, Representative Stickland, and anybody else in the room who may be elected. What, what is something on your radar screen? Well, you stumped me there. I, I just don't, I don't think about those things that much. So, has to be a little closer to the, to the beginning of the yeah, session. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, uh, let me see, hang on a sec. Ah, I can think of something. Okay. Uh, ethics reform. Thought we, I, I think, thought we just tried that and it didn't reform, go so well. Ethics reform. Well, the Senate passed a bill, the House passed a bill. They were diametrically opposed. They were. Yeah. One insisted that dark money be revealed, and the other said, no thanks. One, one, one talked about dark money. What is dark money, by the way? Dark money is money that is not disclosed, often by those same social welfare organizations that I referred to that say they don't electioneer. Some disagree with that. Okay. Right. Churches? Churches? Might, might be. Yeah. And so any, any individual that has a, any, any private citizen that uses their resources to come and Talk to the state legislature. I know where you're going with this, and where I'm going to go with it is sunlight is, as the cliche says, the best disinfectant, some believe. Well, let me, let me tell you a little story. I know, I know an organization that had its um, donor list accidentally released by the IRS. It's so an organization that you have some association with. I know about it. Yes. I also know about an organization that had a committee chairman call their corporate sponsors. So let's say at TripVest. Uh, committee chairman start calling up your corporate sponsors, Walmart or whoever, and say, if you want anything in next legislative session, you'll drop your, your You're, you're saying that a, committee, a, a chairman of a legislative committee called uh, people on that donor list and said... I'm saying they called corporate sponsors, which, well, is, which wh- is a different... But why, why don't you name the organization and name the chairman right here? Why not? Why not? People are afraid. But, but, but if this person did this, that, I don't think anybody thinks that's a good it's, thing. It's not against the law. You don't and, want to out, how, you don't want how, out that person? And how, how often does that sort of thing happen? You don't want to out the person? I don't think it's my place to do that. You know I'm going to go dig around this now. <laughs> All right, we have how, much, how much time we have for questions? Twelve minutes. We have microphones in the aisle. Anybody want to ask a question to Mr. Dunn? I worry that it may be the last opportunity you ever have. <laughs> so, well. so get on it. Um, 
<laughs> I promised Jason Vialva the first hope, question. Just kidding. I hope, every, <laughs> I hope everybody here has something way more uh, interesting to do with your life. Than Stickland, that was for you. Did you like that one? That was Jason Vialba. First Jason Vialba joke of Tribfest. That was actually pretty good. Sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, howdy. Uh, my question, uh, given the recent very apparent targeting of conservative reformers like Ken Paxton, Wallace Hall, to a lesser extent, uh, Governor Perry, uh, do you think that targeting will prevent conservatives in the future who are looking to serve in public office from running and seeking to do so? Who's targeting Governor Perry and uh, the Attorney General? I'll let you answer that question. Oh, well, I didn't ask it, so I don't know the answer. I'm asking sincerely as context for your question. Do you have anybody in mind? I know what he's talking about. Yeah. Who's, who's targeting Governor Perry and the you're, Attorney You're General? talking about the subpoenas, uh, the indictments. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so, uh, you know, as you know, uh, Ken Paxton's been indicted. I am aware. Rick Perry was indicted. I am aware. Yeah. Okay, who was the other person that was stated? Oh, Wallace Hall. Wallace Hall, they tried to impeach Wallace Hall. There was a whole proceeding. You, I am you know, aware. You know something about that. I do. So... So uh, I, it's a, I think it's a serious concern. If you have a certain persuasion, uh, does that mean that the power of government is going to get thrown at you and try to dissuade you from uh, taking public office? You know, if, my objective look at the indictment of Governor Perry was, it was fairly absurd. And Perry had to go through, I don't remember, a you know, large amount of legal fees to overcome that. Uh, the Wallace Hall situation. Did you follow that? The whole Wallace, Wallace Hall? Hall thing? Don't remember that. <laughs> you know, I've had Wallace Hall at this festival. I like Wallace Hall. I think Wallace Hall's got a point of view that needs to be heard. I don't have any issue with Wallace Hall. Well, so, you know, basically there was, it was trying to impeach a whistleblower. So, I don't know. Well, as you, you think know, about different transparency. People, yeah, like, yeah, I know. The people, the people that want to know all about who's threatening the system, they want to know everything about so that. So can we just agree that someone everything... someone blows a whistle on the system, that person needs to be impeached. Let's, let's agree right now that we're going to lock arms. You and I are going to co-chair the Total Disclosure of Everything Committee. How about that? How about if we totally disclose things that government and public does and let private things be private? Well, I just think we may have a respectful, there, we may have a respectful difference, respectful difference do about you, the value of disclosing some of the things that you think are private. Do you have uh, any, I, I looked at your uh, financial statement, you've got some funds All, on there. Everything is disclosed, Every, everything. You have some funds on there that are restricted, and there's some Correct. statement that says, do you tell people what the boards are instructing you, how they're instructing you to give that money? They're, absolutely, we tell everybody that. It's you? Every, it's if, you, if, you look, if you look, Mr. Dunn, at the bottom yeah. of every single story in the Texas Tribune, there is a, an awful but necessary paragraph that mm-hmm. discloses meticulously every dollar that is mentioned, a donor in a story. Every dollar that comes into the Tribune is available to some, for people to see in real time. Good. So that's great. I just think that disclosure you, is not bad. That's awesome. So you choose to do that. Absolutely. We, we think we have a public obligation to do it. Do you, do you think the government should make you do that? And, and do you think the government should go beyond that and say, you know, maybe, maybe you're personal. How do we know you're not personal? But, you know, I come, but I come back. Should you have to do your personal statement? Make sure. What if Walmart's giving you personal money to try to do the stories. We don't know about that. No, you would know it because it's right there on the page. Mr. Mr. No, Dunn, I would personally, go- do you put your personal financial statement on there too? I'll, I'll, I'll be happy to put mine online if you put yours online. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want mine online. I want to be private. Mr. Mr. Dunn, my point is I come back to what you said, a very articulate and I believe heartfelt thing at the beginning, that the, that the issue here is the public interest. 
Well, and My, I would submit that there is a public interest in more disclosure rather than less without saying specifically what that means. I think there's a public interest in uh, incumbents not abusing their power. I'll look yeah. forward to you writing a check to Stickland's uh, challenger next time. Sir. Yes, Mr. Dunn, you, uh, you said that the, you believe that there was a conflict in our society between Judeo-Christianity and, and political, political correctness. Yes. And I, I was just curious, could you kind of define and clarify what you mean by political correctness? Well... Uh, it's, I, you know, that's, that's basically, no, not really. I, it is, it's a moral system of right and wrong that's given by somebody and changes all the time. So uh, Could you give an example? Well, What's something that you would think is, is right now overly politically correct? Uh, well, let's see. Let's, let's talk about uh, men and women. You know, do, are men and women the same or are they different? You know, it's become like if you... If you say men and women are different, there's some, some, some uh, problem with that, as though testosterone and estrogen are the same thing, as though, you know, uh, the, the male brain's not affected by testosterone. You know, it's just physiology. You know, they're, they're, there's differences. And so now you come along and say, well, you can't talk about those differences. You can't. They have, they have to be denied as though they're there. Uh, but, you know, maybe today, maybe tomorrow. It's hard to pin down even what political correctness is on a given day. It's just the, the, the outrage of the day. And it's a never, a never um, an ever-shifting tide, which, you know, how can you organize society around that? Only one way, whoever's making those rules is in charge. Okay. Mr. Choate. Mr. Dunn, could you explain to us the nature of your relationship with Michael Sullivan and how often you and he actually speak, and if you have an opinion as to where he lives. <laughs> well, man, my, he's the Bill James of inside baseball, man. That's like a total down into weeds question. Okay. Go ahead. Well, Michael's actually a long-lost adopted son of mine, and that's the full... Dis- no, he's, he's not. My, Michael, Michael's, a, Michael's a good friend. Uh, we've, we've worked together closely for 10 years, and... Um, you know, we, we don't really talk that much. Uh, we, had a, we had a conversation recently, so maybe a few months ago, and I said at the end of the conversation, you know, this is the first time I can remember in a long time where we weren't thinking the same way about things. So I think we just have a similar philosophy. And, and, um, what, was the, what was the issue that you disagreed oh, on? Now I'm curious. Inquiring minds want to know. One of I you only remember. hated the Ethics Commission and the others of you hated, hated, hated the <laughs> Ethics Commission? Is that what it was? I don't remember. I remember. I remember the event because it was kind of unusual, and we laughed about it. But um, you know, I think I'm I'm the board chairman, and I am uh, the leader of setting the policies for the organization. And he's the CEO of the organization, and he's in charge of uh, hiring and firing and and executing the uh, the strategy. So I think that's that's the relationship we have, sir. Mr. Dunn, you and I were both privileged to grow up under the pristine night skies of West Texas. Okay. Submit to you that those skies are under attack and are turning uh, more and more light, uh, thanks largely to the oil industry and poorly lit oil drilling rigs and production facilities and flaring facilities. The recent discovery in and around Balmoraye is going to threaten the dark skies of Fort Davis and McDonald Observatory, some of the darkest skies in the United States. 
I was hoping you as an individual would commit to looking at the Crown Quest sites and facilities and reviewing the lights, doing a reasonable inventory of the lights and asking if those lights are really necessary. What do you say about that? Not the question you expected to get today, did you? No. I, I'm, uh, I'm not even, I'm, I'm, I, honestly, I don't exactly understand your question. I'm sorry. You're talking about drilling rig lights? Okay. Oh, well. Yeah. Well, on the drilling rig is a 24-hour operation, and it's uh, you know a matter of safety to be able to see what you're doing. So I'm not sure what we can do about that. Most of the most of the other things, you know, like the trucks pull up and they hook up and and. Uh, haul off oil, and again, that's a 24-hour operation. So I would think that would have a lot of safety issues if we tried to, to um, go. I guess that would be dark batteries, dark rigs, something like that. Yes, ma'am. Ma'am. This has been a surprisingly open, candid, cordial, civil discussion. Do you think there might be a role for this approach at times during the coming legislative session? Well, between who? What, what are you thinking? Between everyone? Well, do, do, well, do you look. think incivility? I, I think uh, uh, Regent Cryer is suggesting uh, something that we've heard before, which is that there has been an increasing amount of incivility in the legislature, in politics in Austin and in Congress and in the world. And we should be doing about that. Well, look, I, this is what I would maintain, that there's two parties in the United States, the incumbents and the rest of us. And so anything that we can do to prevent the incumbents from dividing us and we actually sit down and talk about what is the proper role of government, which is a topic that basically never gets talked about, it's always presumed that the politicians ought to be deciding this and they, you know, as part of what they do, set up a narrative to say what should be decided, what should be decided, and we play into that. And we talk about what should be decided. And the more important question is, who should decide that? And the vast majority of the time, it should be us deciding that. So anything we can do, ma'am, that um, can put citizens in the mix discussing what is the proper role of government and how can we as citizens solve a problem. And most problems get solved much better outside of government when people just sit down and figure it out between themselves. Can we do it in a civil way? Well, that's people's choice, right? There's only three things in life you get to choose, and one of them's your perspective, and one of them's the actions you take. So um, that's, that's, a, that's a thing people are going to have to choose to do. Um, if you try to make people be civil, then you're back into coercion again, and so that's, that's not going to work. Got it. Yeah. I'm going to stop there. We're just at about the end of our session, and we have other things to go off all of us to do. Mr. Dunn's got a plane to catch. Please thank thank Tim Dunn for coming from Midland for us. Appreciate it. Thank you all. We'll see you again.